0: Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled Disruptors, and it is part of the New Church Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, Pastor Phil McCutcheon.
1: Well, we're continuing our series, the book of Acts, and now we get to Acts chapter 17, and we're stepping into the second missionary journey of Paul. We haven't said much about Paul, because if you start talking about Paul, you have to preach the whole series on Paul, because there's so much to him, and we just did that a few weeks ago. So we've, but, but this is about Paul, undoubtedly the most important single figure in the history of Christianity apart from Christ. And we have him now, what, what is his second missionary journey? The first missionary journey, he goes into, uh, he leaves Jerusalem and he goes into what we call Asia Minor. Asia Minor includes uh, Syria, Turkey, uh, and, and uh, that part of the world. And uh, on his second missionary journey, he goes a little further and goes all the way into, into Greece And where we're going to find him today, he's almost, he's almost, he's not quite to Greece yet. He's in in a town in Turkey that we call Thessalonica. It says, When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, or Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the, but the Jews who were not, per, were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and, gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, And sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These have turned the world upside down, have come here too. Now, do you think God ever calls us to have that kind of impact on people? Does God ever call us to be a disruptor? I think He does. I understand in today's culture where in some environments the unpardonable sin is to upset someone. Or make someone feel bad. Terms such as safe space, safe space, and trigger warning, and microaggressions have entered the, the English language. But social scientists are telling us that, especially with the young, this, this model coddling of the young is actually causing a rise in mental health issues. It's it's uh, suicide among boys is up forty six percent. Suicide among girls is up eighty one percent. You see, God designed us to live authentically god designed us to live with a certain amount of healthy tension in our lives so so we need to embrace the fact that sometimes to be true to god and to be true to oneself you are going to be a disruptor and i, I have a feeling while this may sound negative for some of you this is going to be incredibly freeing because you have felt you you have felt guilty about making about unintentionally unintentionally having an opinion that bothers someone else. But according to Scripture, we're to speak the truth in love, right? What is a disruptor? I just I don't have a Greek word or a Hebrew word here, but the English dictionaries work pretty good too, you know? Disruptor means to cause disorder or turmoil. In the news, the news disrupted their conference, as an example. To destroy, usually temporary, the normal continuance of unity... Of interrupt, telephone service was disrupted for hours, as an example. To radically change is by introducing a new product or service that creates a new market. It's time to disrupt your old business model. Now, that's a very positive way of looking at disruption, isn't it? And you know that's the way it works. Anytime a new product comes out like like this, it's very disruptive. And we have early adopters that immediately they want the newest thing, and then we have the the late adopters like me, and then we have the laggards who hold out with a flip phone forever, you know? (laughs) But it's very disruptive. But then one day day we find out the device like this has really improved our lives. We find out it's so much better, and all the things we can do with this product, and all the things we can do, and then we're thankful that somebody had the courage to upset us. Somebody had the courage to get our attention and to introduce something our, into our life that at first stressed us a great deal. And at first we, we may have resisted it and we didn't like it. But it, it ends up being the thing that makes our lives so much better and helps us to coordinate. Especially you, you're, you start a business and you find out, especially a, a small business, and you find out how with the, the, the products now electronically that are available, the digital products that are available, you can run a business by yourself so much easier than you could 30 years ago. Now, we're in a series now, for those of you that are just coming into this in the middle of summer, we're in a series called New Church. And it's based on the idea that God had an organization called the church before the resurrection of Christ. It's referred to in Acts 7.38 as the church in the wilderness. For those of you who know a little bit about the Bible, you know the wilderness is that place where Israel traveled when they were they were they were in Egypt and they became immigrants, and they left Egypt to go to the land that God had promised them, the land of Palestine. And en route, they went through the Sinai De, Sinai Desert, and we call that the wilderness. And they were referred to as the Church in the wilderness. We also see the word church used twice by Christ in the Gospels, On several places throughout the the, the the Bible. In the New Testament, we have the phrase, and the Old Testament too, we have the phrase the people of God. So this idea of a congregation, of a church, is not, was, not, was not a new thing, but we have all of a sudden, in the, at the end of the Gospels, we have the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have the sending of the Holy Spirit that ushered in this new era. And so that's when we call this series ...the new church. It's not just about you being a Christian. It's not just about you being a Christ follower. But it's about you being a part of a community of faith and a community of believers. The book of Acts is about God letting us know that Jesus is now king of the world. And God sends his Holy Spirit to remain on the earth. And in Christ's absence, he equips Christ's followers with the Holy Spirit... And the Holy Spirit, instead of a temple in Jerusalem, the saints, I mean, instead of a temple in Jerusalem where people travel to, the, the New Testament has one little phrase that's very important. It says, "You are your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I know we use that phrase, especially with our young people, to encourage purity in their lives. And that's a good, that's appropriate use of that verse. But that verse is a lot bigger and a lot deeper than that. That verse means that... People come to you not to worship you, but they come to worship the Christ that is in you. And by meeting you, they have the potential of meeting the high priest. You know, they, they would go to the temple to meet the high priest and have their sins forgiven. They would go to the temple and meet the high priest to to have their have themselves exonerated. I know we found out this week. That, uh, that the courts can't exonerate you if you watch the Mueller hearing. You know, we found out that, that, that he didn't have the authority to exonerate, but I want you to know there's a God in heaven that has the authority to exonerate you. Amen? <clears throat> Not just, not just say you're not guilty, but actually pronounce you righteous, exonerated in Christ. So you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So together, we form this amazing, wonderful, incredible thing called the Church of Jesus Christ that's going to all the world. We're unleashing the temple of God on the world. So listen to the words of the crowd in Acts chapter 17, verse 7. See, that, that movement that began in Jerusalem because of persecution in Acts chapter 8, which we didn't deal with that. And I hope you will pick up a reading plan and you'll read the book of Acts and so you can get all the gaps that I can't fill in with the time we have. But because of persecution, this, this church began to spread to the surrounding nations and the surrounding cultures. So Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, is also seen as the king of the world, the king of the nations. Now listen to the words of the crowd, and you can see what triggered them, this certain group. Acts 17, verse 7. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd, and the rulers of the city where they heard these things. Now we know they were being manipulative in what they were saying, but they were trying to make the apostles look as bad as possible. Now, I understand today that the idea of a separate identity with the rest of the world is very uncomfortable to some of us, and maybe all of us, maybe most of us. The idea of us and them, especially if you're kind of new to Christianity, that's probably something that you're not real comfortable with. The idea of it's us and them feels bad, but we've got to understand something. It's not us versus them. It's us for them. It's us serving them. It's us loving them. When I I go to the doctor to be treated, it's us for me. They are not versus me, opposed to me, but they are differentiated from me. They have a different role than me. If I want to get better, I need to follow the doctor's orders so, I have to recognize that, that by my own volition, not, not legally, but my own volition, I give them authority so they can make me better. And so they're not the same as me, their, their identity is different than me. So, I know that makes people feel a little bit uncomfortable to think of us and them, but let's not think it as us versus them, but us for them. See, but you've got to understand, sometimes you're going to be accused of being a disruptor. Because they just don't understand. Because there's a spiritual warfare for the soul of humanity. And you have aligned yourself as a soldier of light against dark forces. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so we have a, 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 a BFF here today who is at the front lines of this battle of injecting the love of Christ and being disruptive to the forces of darkness. So I know you'd rather hear her than me. So, Sandy, Aunt Sandy would you come and tell us a, some stories about <laughs> disrupting things in the Philippines? This is Sandy Blatchley, missionary to the Philippines. For those of you who don't know, and her husband Darrell is not here today, but you're one, so he's here. Yes. Right?
0: Thank you, thank you. We are all a piece of the puzzle. And it's God's plan. It's this huge worldwide puzzle. And when we talk about disruptors, we sometimes have to be that in the puzzle. I have a friend in, I am a missionary in the Philippines, and you pay for me to do what I do. (laughs) Bottom bottom line. And so I have a friend in Oregon. She... um, Writes to a prisoner, I told you about Homa, who was put in prison for her husband's drugs. She was in seven years before she finally got her sentence. Her sentence was life plus 12 years to the big prison. So the Holy Spirit said to me, because I was complaining, God, why did you do this? And he said, Sandy, I am God. And if I have a plan, which I do for Homa's life, and it is to open the door to the big prison for Family Circus to go in there and minister, then let me be God. And I say, God, I'm so sorry. So I went back to home and I said, what if, I mean, this is just what I'm hearing from God. And she said, oh, it's what I've been hearing all night too. And I'm, I'm OK with that. And I'm like, OK, OK with life in prison. So my friend in Oregon writes to Homa. She has come out four times. The friend in Oregon, Christine, she writes to Homa every day. She just writes scripture. The guards have to read every letter that comes in, so the guards tell Homa, Homa, you're giving us nosebleeds by your friend's letters because it hits our brain all that English. And so she said, the 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 guards have to know Christ too. So then, two years ago in December she got a letter from a man in the main men's prison from maximum she's in maximum and he said i am your brother and i want you to come see me here in maximum uh, family can visit each other from prison to prison it's only like a mile away so she said to me she said you know i have only one brother and he has been dead for 17 years And because we are Muslims, we have to bury our dead and we have to bury him in 24 hours. She said, so he was in Manila somewhere and we were in some wanga. And she said, so we didn't go. But she said, he has been dead for 17 years. We had something for him awake, but he's been dead. And so she said, I didn't know who this man was that was saying, come see me. I'm your brother. So she said, I wanted to get out of prison, though, for a day. So she said, I signed up to go visit him. So she went over to the other prison. And she said, I knew when I saw the man, he was not my brother. She said, he was coming to me with his arms open wide and a big smile on his face. And she said, wasn't my brother. He was old and he was ugly. She said, so, but the closer he got, it was his eyes. That was my brother. So after 17 years, she finally saw her brother again. He wasn't dead. So I said, oh, Homa, then you got a chance to tell him about Jesus. Because Homa, as a Muslim going into prison, would go to the Muslim services. But then the born-again Christians would come in, and she would stand at the jail bars and listen to the name of Jesus and cry and weep and they would hit her and say what are you crying about and she says there is just something about the name of Jesus it it hits my heart I can feel that name so I told her, you can tell him about Jesus she said just wait she said I told him you know I'm not the same person as I was when I was a child and he says yeah and she says you know I have a new family she said um I'm just not the same. And he said, yeah. And she said, I'm born again now. And he said, yeah, so what? So am I. So God is working in the Muslims in every way. And I was talking to my friend Penny this morning. God is speaking to every, every nationality, every culture of the world in his own way. And so she told me, she said, God came to her and said, you need to know Jesus. So Jesus is the most powerful name. And we are a part of that huge, huge puzzle that God has to let every person in this world know the name of Jesus. I want to thank you. You, yes, this is my happy place. Because when I come here, the love here, the, the heart for missions, the heart that God has is so strong in this church that it is like mm, going on my favorite picnic or something. So thank you for all the times that you give to, that you eat it, mm, Aunt Sandy's, that you give because God is powerful in you. Tell them how he found his sister. Oh, oh, oh. This is a cool part of the story. The, the male... The- The male comes into the main prison, which is the male prison, and it gets sorted. When it got sorted, the name Aldam Sali, the name Homa Sali. So whoever sorted it just looked at Sali. Aldam is in the men's, Homa is in the women's. So they looked at the name Sali and gave it to Aldam. Aldum looked at it when he got it, whoa, first letter after 15 years, and, he's, and he had no visitors in 15 years, and he said, wow, USA, Oregon, I don't know anybody in Oregon, I don't know anybody in USA, I don't know any Americans, so he wrote to Homa because it was the same address, so he wrote over to her, and that's when he invited her to come, so Homa told me that, and so this Christmas, I asked Homa, Homa, give me a list of 10 women here in the prison that don't get any visitors. She gave me 10 women, and I said, and it's better if you give them to me if they're Muslim. And so she said, okay, so she gave me this list, and on the list, probably nine were Muslim out of the 10. They have been there 17 years, 22 years, 15 years, 13 years, absolutely no visitors. So, I got all of their Christmas wish list, and you bought it for them. And so they were so excited, because for, for the first time, in how many of the years they'd been there, somebody cared about them. So, um, I, my son, when he was 15, would go down to the Muslim beach in another town about five hours away, and he met a Muslim man. And he just kept the relationship with him. That man eventually had 12 children. Well, he died three years ago. And when he died, his children, one of them, his name is Ding, w- was sitting after the burial, and he was crying. And somebody, and so my son asked, why is he crying? Because Muslims don't usually cry at a funeral. And so he said, well, he won't be able to finish college because his father's dead now and he was the breadwinner of the family. So my son said, I will finish paying for his college. And so he has been paying it. So this March, Ding was in town and he was staying with me. And uh, we asked him, would you like to go to the prison with us? And he said, yes. And so we took him to the prison. He said, I have an aunt in there. I said, okay. So when I went, um, I asked the name the name was one of my 10. And so I called for her to come be able to visit with me that day. And when she came, she thought she was just coming to see me. But she looks and sees a boy who was five years old. And it was 17 years she hasn't seen him. And she, he looked at her, auntie. And she looked at him, ding. And it was this joyous meeting again after 17 years. 17 years, hadn't seen her brother. 17 years, and it was exciting to Homa for that number. Well, um, after we went back to Davao, Didi saw on Facebook Ding had gone home. And Ding said that he was in a relationship on Facebook. So Didi texted him, and he said, Ding, you've got to finish your schooling and he said, yes, I know. And he says, and who is this girl? And he said, well, she's just a really nice girl. He said, is she Muslim? Oh, no, no, she's not Muslim. Is she Catholic? No, 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 she's not Catholic. Well, what is she? Well, I hope you don't get mad, but she's born again. And we're like, yes. <laughs> because let me tell you, the difference between born again and Christian is, I've been told by the Muslims, you are not a Christian. There's no way that you're a Christian. And I'm kind of offended. And then when they realize I'm not a Christian in the sense that I don't have my idols, I don't have my things. And so, yes, I am born again. And so when you say to a Muslim, I'm born again, they know the difference.
1: By the way, you're you're giving... Uh, go uh, goes to support th- that kind of ministry. So thank you for giving t- to missions. Uh, how can people give to our missions program? Jay, what's, what's the easiest way? Say what? How do they do that? Go to the app or online, or talk to one of our great hospitality people if you want to get going with your giving to missions. Uh, so that what, your support goes to. This incredible lady and their incredible ministry. Also, if you want to hang out with uh, with Sandy tonight and hear some more stories and talk to her, she's going to be here at 6.30. I guess, I don't know where they're going to be exactly. Next room, I think. I, I thought you were going to be in this room right here. But anyway, go to Aunt Sandy's cafe. And you can go to her cafe and uh, have, have coffee with her and hang out with her. And have a great time, so I, I know a lot of you will want to do that. It's going to be a great evening, and we're so, we're so glad that she's here. So, uh, what motivates Christian disruptors? Christian disruptors are purely motivated by love for Christ. Apostle Paul wasn't trying to be a disruptor. I, I know some people who try to be disruptors. <laughs> I know some people who like to make waves, who like to rock the boat. Paul wasn't somebody who just liked to rock the boat. He wasn't somebody who just wanted to uh, stir up or or shake up the political structure of his day. He, He was not a political activist in any stretch of the imagination. He was a person who had met Jesus. And he had met Jesus, and it had transformed his life. Paul's motivation was not to be a disruptor. Paul's burning passion was just like Sandy Blatchley, to make Christ known. Paul was overwhelmed by his meeting with Christ. He wasn't just someone who enjoyed drama. He was not such an individual. Paul had met the one true king, and he was enamored by his majesty. I've heard nobody capture the heart of the Christian motivation better than, interestingly enough, I've heard no one capture the Christian motivation better than atheist Tom Holland. Uh, the last sentence of the quote I'm going to read to you will sound as though he is a Christian, but he's most decidedly not a Christian. You listen carefully to his words and you'll see that he's not, as Sandy put it, a born-again Christian. But, but to me, that makes his reaction even more profound. And here's what Tom Holland said, and put, some of this is going to be uh, on the projection for you, and some of it won't. Tom Holland, he says, he was in a conversation, by the way, with uh, N.T. Wright, on a show called Unbelievable. In fact, I've put the link to that interview. It's a 55-minute a or so interview. It's outstanding, and you'll want to watch it. So I've put it in the, in the notes in the app. If you want to click that on later this week, r- listen to or watch that interview. It's just outstanding. Here's what Tom Holland said. Now, Tom Holland is a, historia, a historian who's written extens- extensively about Greek and Roman culture about Cicero and uh, Plato and all of those people. And he was very enamored with Greek and Roman culture and for years felt that was where he came from, that that was the, the set of ethics that he came from. But when he began to study Greek and Roman culture and he began to study the writings of Apostle Paul, it changed his view about the, the, the beauty of Greek and Roman culture. Here's what he says. Why was I wrong about Christianity? This is from an article. That's the title of the article. He said, It took me a long time to realize my morals are not Greek or Roman, but thoroughly and proudly Christian. We preach Christ crucified, St. Paul declared, unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. He was right. Nothing could have been more counter to the most profoundly held assumptions of Paul's contemporaries, Jews or Greeks or Romans. The notion that a god might have suffered torture and death on a cross was so shocking as to appear repulsive. Familiarity with the biblical narrative of the crucifixion has dulled our senses of just how completely novel a deity Christ was. In the ancient world, it was the role of gods who laid claim to ruling the universe to uphold its order by inflicting punishment, not to suffer it themselves. Today, even as belief in God fades across the West, the countries that were once collectively known as Christendom continue to bear the stamp of the two, two millennia-old revolution that Christianity represents. It is the principal reason why, by and large, most of us who live in a post-Christian societies will take for granted that it is nobler to suffer than to inflict suffering. It is why we generally assume that every human life is of equal value. In my morals and ethics, I have learned to accept that I am not Greek or Roman at all, but thoroughly and proudly Christian. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Because if you, if you study Greek and Roman culture, they considered their slaves' property their children were property. They would kill their children without any retribution. They would kill their slaves. Women were treated horribly. It was, it was the message of, of Paul and his view of Christ that transformed the world and really provided the basis for Western civilization. You need to be thoroughly and proudly Christian today. You need to, be, you need to step out through those doors and into that world and be proud that you are a follower of Christ and not be so worried about being a disruptor. Thank God that Paul was willing to be a disruptor because he was willing to be a disruptor. The world does not know how thankful they should be. It, we have the rare exception like a Tom Holland who realizes that the world owes its value to humanity. The idea that all men are created equal, it, took, it takes someone like Tom Holland, who's honest enough, an honest atheist, to say that didn't come from Greek Roman culture. It did not, and, and I don't care what Steve Pinker says, it didn't come from the Enlightenment. It came from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it came from the church that was established in the earth in the book of Acts. I am proudly Christian today. Make sure that people are resisting your love for Jesus. Make sure that's what you're resisting Make sure they're resisting the Christ that Paul Pete preached. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ did for us. Christian disruptors are not people who are trying to be disruptive. Paul was not trying to be disruptive. And in fact, wasn't disruptive to, to everybody. It was just a small group of people. And that's how it's going to be in your life. Remember. That's how it's going to be in your life too. There's just going to be that one family member that sees you as a, dis- as a disruptor. There's going to be that one neighbor, that one peer, that one person in your social group. He's going to see your living out of your faith as being disturbing to them. And, but but that one, dis- but that one ac- accuser can make a lot of noise and can make you miserable. Maybe they live in your house, right? That's tough, Right? Christian disruptors, though, what are we doing? We're just living out our dedication to God. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4.15, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. A letter defending the new church was found in about 130 A.D. They believe it was written. It was written to someone Diognetes. And in one place it says, and this is talking about those early Christians. It said, they marry like everyone else and they have children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They share a common table, but not a common bed. They exist in the flesh, but they do not live by the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, all the while surpassing the laws by their lives. They are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor, they are glorified. They are spoken of... Ill and yet are justified, they' revile, but they bless. they are insulted, but they repay the insult with honor. They do good yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if raised from the dead. They are assailed by the Jews as barbarians. They are persecuted by the Greeks, yet those who hate them are unable to give any reason for their hatred. I'm not only proudly Christian and proud of the Christian faith, I'm proud of the Christian Church and our record of of beauty in the face of darkness. Governments who shut down churches don't shut down churches usually because they are opposed to their belief. They don't care what they believe. They don't really care if they believe in Jesus. Governments that are opposed to the church are opposed when they find there's a community of believers who aren't afraid of them. And when they see a community that will obey God first. Daniel chapter 3, 17 says... They were going to throw them into the fiery furnace and they said, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who serves is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. This is, this is the heart of a Christian disruptor. Not disrespectful, not mean-spirited, not angry, but simply to say to every other authority in your life, it includes the authorities in your family, the authorities in your work, the authorities in your community, that our first loyalty is to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. That our first loyalty is to serve Christ. And we will do that beautifully. We will do that compassionately. We'll do that humbly. But don't make any mistake about it. You are not our king. We disrupt in many ways. We disrupt by parenting as Christians. Somebody is going to be disturbed. If you parent your children as a Christian, somebody in your family is going to feel you're depriving and abusing your children. We disrupt by managing our sexuality as Christians. Somebody's going to be offended. Somebody's going to be upset if you manage your sexuality as a believer. We manage our money as Christians. Somebody's going to raise an eyebrow and somebody's going to feel disturbed when they... Find out how much money you give to God's work. We we disrupt by choosing our politics as Christians. We we, We disrupt by those decisions. Because I'm not, by the way, I'm not telling you who to vote for at all. I would never do that. But as a Christian, I have to take my values into the voting booth. And I have to vote as I feel the work of God, the kingdom of God, the good of humanity according to God's principles. How it's being served by who I elect. We disrupt by choosing our entertainment as Christians. Oh, you're going to bump up against this one. Someone's going to be disrupted, disturbed, upset. Because you will not be a part of some types of entertainment. Because it just, it just grieves the Holy Spirit that's within you. We, we dis- disrupt by deciding our habits as Christians. We disrupt by managing our schedules as Christians. Someone's going to be triggered by the fact that you go to, have to go to church every Sunday morning because you want to go to church. I don't mean have to, like you're forced to. So someone's going to be triggered by that. So some, There's probably some, somebody here today that there's some sacred family tradition that, that is disrupted by making church attendance something you are going to do every, every weekend of your life. See, most of the time, friends, God is not calling us to radical protest, but just to a reasonable sharing of our faith and, and a living out of our dedication to Christ. Most of the time, those around us will appreciate our spirituality and our service and our morality, but every once in a while, someone will call your love for Christ and your love for them disturbing and disruptive. Yesterday, Moses Estevez and I were Having lunch at the beef barn in Bellingham. You ever go to the beef barn? We were having lunch at the beef barn, and the waitress comes to wait on us, and Moses says, What is your name? She said, Krista. And he said, we're, we're about to pray for our meal. Would you like for us to pray for you? Is there anything you need prayer for? And I never thought of doing that. But I'm 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 gonna try that. But you know what? That waitress got so excited. She said, "Thank you so much." She said, "I am so happy that I forget exact words. It was like, I'm so happy that you guys are willing." She said, "My kids are getting ready to start to school, and um, and I'm nervous about it. I think I think one was uh, like second grade and one the fifth grade or something like that." She said, "I'm I'm really nervous about them starting back to school this year, and I would really appreciate it if you guys would pray for my kids." And you know. What did he do when he made that? He, he was putting something out there that the next waitress might get triggered by that. The, 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 the next waitress or the person at the next table might find that disruptive that you talk about God in a public place. But we've got to make a decision in the 21st century. We've got to make a decision of which God we're going to serve. We're going to have to make a decision about whether we're going to be the people of God when we leave this building. I know you're the people of God right here. I know, but this is... let Let me just make a very wild guess. The culture that you're in for this hour and a half is not the same culture that you live and play and work in. Let me just guess that the culture that you live and you play and you work in it's completely different from a place that's singing praise songs and giving testimonies and talking about Scripture and praising God and clapping when someone says something positive about the Scripture. Right? Let me just guess that where you work and where you live and where you play is not like that at all. In fact, you live in it. You live most of your life in a very different culture than what the church represents. And you like coming here and you like this culture, but it's not the same, Right? What is my challenge today? My challenge is to take Christ into the culture where you work, live, and play. Not in the same way. No, don't don't march into that culture singing praise songs tomorrow necessarily. You might. It might be the thing to do. You don't necessarily walk into that culture quoting scripture. You know what? Go figure it out. I don't know exactly what you need to do to take Christ to that culture. But I know it needs to be at the forefront of your mind to take Christ and his goodness and his love and his compassion just like Sandy Blatchley is doing. We're in some difficult times right now. In May, the UN declared Christians the most persecuted religious group in the world. But we're not going to talk Christian privilege. That's not what we do. That's not our game. We, We... we count it an honor to suffer with Christ. It's, 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 it means that we're on the right side of history when we suffer with Christ. But it, nevertheless, it's happening. And even Prince Charles said, here's a quote from Prince Charles. He said, it's an indescribable tragedy that Christian, Christianity is now under such threat in the Middle East. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this to a close. And I'm, I'm not going to share everything else I was going to say, but I think I've completed my thought today and unburdened my soul. And I want to, But I want to close with this final thought, that Christian disruptors are disruptors because we have an ultimate and indestructible purpose. Paul said in Acts 2024, 20, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Wow. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of grace. I realized quite recently. That I was placing too much of my joy and my happiness in my identity as a preacher, and I and I began to pray about that because I was getting too unhappy. You know, that's how kind of uh, that's how you judge your idols. When you get too unhappy when something doesn't go well, there's a good chance that that thing is your idol. And so I was getting too unhappy when I did not feel, oh, I didn't feel I performed well enough. I didn't feel I did good enough. Or I was getting too unhappy, and I began to pray about that. And it was, this thought came to me, Phil, you need to rediscover intrinsic joy over identity joy. And intrinsic joy comes when my identity is in Christ, and my, and my, my intrinsic joy is that inner knowledge that Jesus Christ in me will triumph over every problem that I have. Intrinsic joy is that inner knowledge that I am a child of God, and no matter what happens, no matter how good or how lousy I perform, it doesn't change my status as a child of God. And it's Jesus didn't die on the cross so I could preach well. Jesus died on the cross to make me his son. Jesus died on the cross... So I could be with him forever and forever and forever. And nothing can change that. So the decision I'm calling you today is the decision. Here's the decision. And here's the action I want you to take. I want the prayer partners to come and get in place, please. The decision I'm calling you today is the decision to start letting, listen carefully, your companions, your peers, your coworkers, your family members, your neighbors and your friends, know that you love Jesus and that your Jesus loves them. That you love Jesus and your Jesus loves them. Now don't go to the local synagogue and start giving a Bible lesson like Paul did. That's not what we do now. Ask God to show you a creative way to announce your greatest treasure to the people who matter the most. You then live it out by faithfully showing up in their lives till they either embrace the new you or ban you from their presence. Promise me you'll never be neutral again. That's the decision I'm calling you to, that you will not be neutral because Jesus Christ, when He looked down at you, And he saw an old rugged cross that he was about to be nailed to. He saw the suffering and the pain that was before you. And he looked at you and he looked at the suffering. And he could have been neutral. And he could have been neutral. And he could have walked down the middle path. And he could have tried to make everybody in that crowd happy. And it would have been easy to do. He could have tried to make everybody satisfied with him and everybody love him. And he could, have, he could have said, I will not be a disruptor because, because I don't think that's good to be a disruptor. I'm going I'm to create harmony in the world today. And that crowd that's yelling, crucify me, I'm gonna, I, got, I know the magic words. I know the magic words. They'll stop saying crucify him if I say the magic words. But Jesus looked at you and he looked at, he looked at the, the prison in Davao, uh, uh, the Philippines, and he saw those people there, and he looked at those people, and he said, no, because they matter, and to redeem them, I'm going to be a disruptor, and I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to be thought worse of today, and I'm going to be disliked today, and I'm going to be hated today, so those people can be loved. That's the message of the cross. And that's what I'm calling you today. Don't be frightened. God loves you. The Holy Spirit's going to guide you. He's not going to ask you to do things that aren't within your power to do. You don't have to go from zero to 60. Just go from zero to five miles an hour. That would be just great. (laughs) Okay? Father, in Jesus' name, we dedicate our lives to you, Lord. We don't dedicate our lives to be disruptors, but we dedicate our lives to be authentic. And if in being authentic with your love, And be authentic with your grace as we serve the world around us. If that causes us to be called people who are turning everything upside down, so be it. For we will answer to you, our King and our Lord and our Master. God bless you as you come to pray. Please come and take communion. Anything going on in your life today, it doesn't have to have anything to do with what we just preached. Come in these prayer partners, are waiting to serve you and pray with you. God bless you as you enter into response time.
2: Christ the King, your name, your name is victory.
3: We thank you that you, in your resurrection, God, you've changed everything. You changed what it means to be human. Uh, you changed what it means to even risk, God, because what risk is it if we get to have you, we get to have everything? If people, if we make waves, God, and we just pray that we would be bold that we would be bold because you were bold. The courage of the cross and the victory of the resurrection, God, I pray that it would resonate in us, God, that we would be people who uh, would be willing to shake things up for your name, God, that our love would be such a standout thing, that it wouldn't be allowed to be going unnoticed, that people would see us and know that we are different, God. And I pray for the person in here today who's like, an honest moment, is like I don't think I'm that different people don't really notice I pray that you would just uh, minister to them today first they would experience your grace and then they would experience just a, a move of just your boldness in their life um, and I pray that we would get plugged in God to God's word to prayer and a Christian community. These are the things that make us into um, people who can go into the world and just have such a marked difference because of our love. Just like uh, Sandy, just like all the people that we look up to that are just spiritual giants, I pray that we would realize the difference between us and them is not some amazing, magical... Anointing, or something that we can never have, but it's just they've spent more time with the source. And I pray we get connected, God.
1: I, I'm just struck by uh, the fact that Paul reasoned with them, it says, from the Scriptures. I, I just want to just kind of put that in your thought, as, your mind as you go, that we're called to be reasonable people. We're called to go out in this world and not be argumentative, but to be reasonable and to to share our ideas, but also listen to other people's point of view. So, so important. By the way, if you want to go back into the use the app, I, I put in the link for that, that video that I, that I think you'll really enjoy with Tom Wright and Tom Holland. You watched it, right? Was it good? It's Very good, right? So, um, also, there's a link to the uh, what's called the Epistle to Diognities that I alluded to, but there's a whole lot of stuff there. If you're, if you're the kind of person who wants to go a little deeper and you read that, it's writings of people who observe the early church, and they're watching the early church get so persecuted, and they're whoever wrote that is, is kind of stepping up and defending the early church. And so it's really, really interesting stuff. So God bless you. Enjoy this beautiful, great, isn't it great July weather we're having Pretty awesome. So enjoy it. Have a good time with your friends and family today. Amen.